The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by Spark Lab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about Spark Lab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Hello and welcome along. We love a good chat about things being done to improve farming practice on this show, and today's guest is the CEO of an app that helps farmers use less water, more efficiently use nitrate fertilisers, and only irrigate at times the soil is ready, meaning less runoff of fertiliser and effluent, meaning less crap getting into our waterways. Sounds pretty good already, but it also helps farmers save money and keep to their council water usage consents. So it's a tool that you don't have to be green to want. The company is called Regen, and since 2010, founder and CEO Bridget Hawkins has been on a mission. Starting out, it was to get intelligent tech into farmers' hands to help them make better decisions. And over time, that mission has evolved to focus more on sustainability and building brand into our primary products. To chat that journey, the product, and Agritech, Bridget joins me now. G'day, thanks for being along. Good morning, Simon. Lovely to be here. Hey, so how did you come to be in Agritech? And and what was kind of the research and data background that you came from? Certainly when I grew up, I never envisaged I would end up running an Agritech company uh, I come from a farm and I've always loved farming and being part of that. So I did an ag science degree at Massey back in the days when Massey was only in Palmerston North. <laughs> um, and from there, my career progressed across lots of different things. So I didn't work directly in the primary sector to start with, but eventually I knew that's where I wanted to come back to. And um, I ended up in a situation where I was involved in a project that was wanting to get purpose for the very first wave of the rural broadband rollout. So if farmers were to buy the internet, what would they use it for? And at the time, there was also the price of some of that technology around sensors and telemetry was coming down. And so and the cloud became a thing, as opposed to just fluffy white things in the sky. <laughs> um, and so all of that came together, and that was the genesis of what Regen was today, was today, is the the convergence of some technologies and a, and a bit of timing in the sense that if farmers could have information in their hands in a timely way, what sort of decisions could they make better or decisions they couldn't have made before? 
And so how did that manifest as a as a product? Like how do you describe what Regen does to someone you meet at a at a barbecue? <laughs> um, that's actually a tricky question because it's quite hard to encapsulate the breadth of what we do in that. So what are you doing? You say, oh, I'm a doctor, and everyone knows what that is. Yeah. Oh, can you look at the look at the saw? Yeah, <laughs> <That's> yeah. <right. laughs> um, so when people say, oh, what do you do? And I say, I've got business that helps farmers manage their water and effluent irrigation. And mainly people say, oh, that's awesome. We really need something like that. Um, and I think that's the the you know how it's involved in saying not technically what it is what we do, but the outcome that we're wanting to get to with what our business is which is to enable farmers to manage better and get better outcomes around these really important resource uses. So how do you, how do you actually do it? How do, what, what kind of things do you put in uh, to a farm and then um, what kind of things do you track and how do farmers find out about um, you know, you know, decisions to make to manage that, those resources? So the core is we need to collect information. So we need to know the current state of the farm. And some of that is things that don't change, like what type of soil a farmer has, what the irrigation system is. And then that information that's changing minute by minute. So the weather and soil moisture and soil temperature. So to collect all of that, we put sensors out in the farm. So we'll put in a weather station, soil moisture monitoring devices, and they're all connected up to what's called telemetry. So that's essentially a cell phone in a box. And so every matter of every few minutes, all of those measurements are being taken and they automatically come up through the cell phone network into the cloud and into our system. And so what we've built is a big software application that creates every farmer's an account so that information about what their soil type is and there's their infrastructure and then that daily or you know minute by minute data about what their current status is in terms of soil moisture and the likely weather and then we've built these algorithms that take all of that and say what from a best practice perspective what's the best thing that you could do today so it crunches all of those numbers on an individual farm basis and the farmer then gets a text. So today you can irrigate your effluent and this is how much you can put out. Or they uh, have an app on their phone and they can see how much water they need to irrigate. So the complexity, so it's built on a, a broad range of, of data that's collected and then there's different rules and regulations and best practice to know what all of that means for that farmer. We take all of that out and just give them this very simple recommended action. And they follow that action and they're doing the right thing on their farm for that day. Right. And so um, we might want to take one step back for um, city city uh, softies like me who don't really know farming and go, you know, what is irrigating your effluent? And why would a farmer be um, wanting to run water irrigation um, potentially on a daily basis? So effluent um, is what's collected when the cows come in to be milked and they're standing on a concrete pad when they're waiting to be milked and it's a bit of time so they've got to um, spend that time. They do their wheeze and poos on that concrete. And so that's all washed down and it gets collected into these big ponds. And the best practice is that farmers store it in these ponds until the soil has got the capacity when it's irrigated over the top of it to hold on to it long enough for the grass to grow and use the nutrients. So effluent actually has got a lot of nitrogen and phosphorus in it, so it's it's like a liquid fertiliser. 
Um, so a farmer needs to know when those days are. So first they collect it, but then they need to know what that right day is. And so that's the core of what we do. And, and the issue with uh, effluent that's applied when the soil hasn't got the capacity to hold it is it then leaches through. So all of those nutrients, the phosphorus and the nitrogen, end up being washed into or draining through the soil and end up in waterways. So that's one of the ways that if it's not done right, um, you know, nutrients get into waterways. If it is done right, though, what you the farmer gets is a value. And so instead of having to go and buy some more nitrogen fertiliser, they're actually spreading it on and their grass is using the fertiliser that, it's sort of a, it's a nice cycle because the cow ate the grass and that's what ended up with the nitrogen and the urine and then he captures it and puts it back on and uses it again. So it's a really if you do it well, it's a, there's a lot of cost advantage for the farmers and you avoid the negative impact on the environment. Right, and and in terms of the water, uh, I guess that's also quite a hotly um, uh, yeah yeah like a. a a hotly watched issue uh, in terms of water usage, especially in places around the country where maybe dairy farming is pushed into areas that were maybe previously considered not ideal for dairy farming Mm -hmm. as they didn't have as much kind of um, water available. And and how does the app help to make sure that these people um, are keeping inside their consents and using the right kind of resource allocation? So with water irrigation, it's the same principle. So it's establishing what capacity the soil has got. And in this case, it's how much more water does it need to have the right amount for the grass to grow. So you don't want, uh, if grass doesn't have enough water, it starts to wilt and it doesn't grow. So the irrigation has developed in areas where they don't have consistent um, summer rainfall particularly. So it gives the farmer the ability to keep the soil moisture in the optimal zone for pasture all summer long. So there's massive benefits in terms of the productive land or the productive use of that land that without the water irrigation couldn't sustain um, livestock farming or dairy farming. What has happened is that if it's over-irrigated, so if you put on more water than the grass needs, um, particularly, say, in places like Canterbury where the soil's very coarse, that extra water just runs straight through. Mm. So one of the physical features of water is it doesn't stand up. So when a soil is full of water, the only place any extra goes is down. Um, but what happens in the process is that the nitrogen that's naturally in the soil and nitrogen from urine from cows, it's a very easily dissolvable Um, nutrient. So when too much water is washing through the soil, it's actually washing out and ending up in waterways, a lot of that nitrogen. Right. So it's a a double whammy. You're you're wasting water and actually stripping nutrients out of the soil. That's right. And so... And and into potentially groundwater or waterways. Wow. And and so getting it right is really important across a whole range of reasons. You know, as you said, you only use the water that you need and then avoid the negative consequence of using too much water in terms of pollution. So what we enable farmers to do is is track exactly where their soil moisture is relative to what their pasture needs and then know what the weather forecast is likely to be. So if it's going to rain, you don't need to irrigate today. If it's going to rain tomorrow, 
So taking all of that into account, giving them a recommendation saying, yep, if you irrigate today, you're going to be meeting your grass's needs but not over-irrigating or, no, you don't need to irrigate today because there's already enough moisture in the soil or there's rain coming. So it's really... um, it enables the optimization of that resource, and then you grow more grass if your grass is kept in that nice constant state of soil moisture. And in terms of the consents and the like, do you also then, if um, it's been dry for a long time, does a big warning come up saying you need to irrigate, but you can't use any more water? <laughs> and then is that when people have to start kind of you know getting the tanker to come and visit them? Yes, well, uh, a tanker is not going to bring in enough water to irrigate a whole field of grass. Um, it's, you know, a completely different scale. So that's, the again, one of the really important reasons to only apply as much water as you need is so you can save your allocation for when you actually need it. Mm. So um, nowadays, most farmers, um, the amount of water they have available to, available to them in a 12-month or an irrigation season, in most seasons is going to be sufficient for what they're trying to irrigate if they do it sensibly. Um, so, and the, uh, this is one of the reasons, you know, that support the case for water storage, is if you can store it and then the farmers know that that water is there waiting for them when they need it, that drives, that gives them a bit more confidence to hold off irrigating you know, one or two days, whereas if what schemes that are called run of the river, where they can only irrigate when the river flows at a certain level. Um, They'll take it when it's going, just in case, yeah. Exactly, that just in case. But then those laws of physics is if you've already got your soil saturated, more water won't make any difference. So it's, um, you know, we're all, farmers are people like us, so you, a lot of your activities are driven by that, emotion, that gut mm. feel, you know, that just in case, the consequences of under-irrigation, uh, your grass will dry up. And, yeah, and then yeah. and then all of your cows won't have anything to eat yep. and then you'll have animal welfare issues on your hands. It's not just, yeah, like it's it's a pastoral care issue as well, yes, isn't it? As well right. as a maximising yeah. resource kind of thing. Yeah. And and that, that's fascinating that, that so in 2010 when this came out, mm. there had been kind of sensor systems that you could put together for things. But this was quite a, a revolutionary move to be able to bring so many things together with the new tech and make recommendations. In, in the time since, have you seen lots of people kind of move into the area or are you still kind of in clear space? Uh, there's lots. There are a lot of different businesses that provide parts of what we do. Um, there's certainly a lot of companies that will uh, have devices that are monitoring soil moisture. So a farmer can look at a graph and they can see a line which goes up and down with the soil moisture, and it's a, the number it's reported in is a percentage. So if I said to you outside, you know, we're sitting here in Auckland, it's been quite wet, soil moisture uh, outside's probably, you know, in the little patch of grass, 36%. Now, what does that mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, probably. I may, I may not be the best person to ask. Well, it means uh, 36 is, uh, it's about a third, yeah, about a third, I could say confidently, about a third, uh, about a third percentage. Uh, the weird thing, soil yeah. moisture at 60% is completely full. So, right. you know, it's... It's not particularly helpful. So you can see a track over time. So what we've done, and we're the only company that do this, is we say a farmer's actually interested in not what it is today, but 
where do I want it to be and what's my options to get there? Um, so that's why we, we have a weather forecast. That soil moisture is, reflect, is represented in a different way, which is showing them in an in a optimal zone where it sits in their, their particular soil type. And so, and then we record what they do, so they can see the impact of their actions, and then they can have real confidence that if I irrigate today, this is where I'm going to end up. Given today's going to be really hot and sunny, or it's going to be a cool day, um, and that space of what's called decision support. So not just presenting data, but actually saying what does that data mean, and what should I do. Decision support, you know, that's there's very few companies, even internationally, that are you know are moving into that field because it is actually complicated. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know, if you get it wrong, then there are real consequences uh, for for the resources that yep. they have at hand. And and so in the years since you began, um, I, I uh, read somewhere that a lot of your first uptake was in places like Southland, where there was. Um, you know, a real council mandated, um, you must keep to the consent and prove it approach. Has that spread throughout the country in the in the years? You know, like how many farmers are using this tech and how easy a sell is it? Because, you know, to a to an Auckland urban liberal, you know, greeny kind of type, it seems like, well, yeah, every every farmer in the country should be using this. Well, I think every farmer in the country yeah. should be using it. Um, it's... That's true. Our you know market for the effluent service really grew in Southland because the council were very specific about what farm they wanted farmers to be able to demonstrate, um, and the service we provide makes it easy for them to do it, and gives them confidence they are actually meeting those consent conditions. Um, the same now in Canterbury, where we've got a much uh, quite a fast growing customer base there because there's some very uh, clear regulations that are just coming into force now that farmers need to be able to justify every time they irrigate. Um, so you know, that's exactly what our service does. We're starting to see a lot more interest in the uh, sort of wider Waikato region now as the Healthy Rivers um, is starting to come into play. So for a long time, I think, you know, farmers feel, and rightly, they know their farms and they know you know, they, they feel that they've got a good sense of when, where things are at. But the landscape is changing in the sense that wider community is not necessarily satisfied with a farmer just saying, I know I'm doing it right, just trust me. They're wanting to have evidence of that. And we see that coming through in the new local or regional council mm. regulations, a requirement for much more transparency. Um, on what actually is being done and the information it's being based on. And um, the markets for all products, all uh, not just dairy, are becoming more sophisticated and environmental um, compliance, sustainability are not things that are nice to have. They're a must-have and you mm-hmm. must be able to demonstrate them as well. So the... That driver for why should a farmer have it, it's, there's a lot of value to be had in being efficient and doing it right. Yeah, it's like nitrate's <laughs> expensive. Water and irrigation yeah. is expensive. It's That's not, right. not it, an easy thing to do. Yeah, um, but there's, there's a growing other requirement, which is actually you, you need to be more transparent, not only for the wider New Zealand community, but for customers down the, 
the track. And But that presents a real opportunity because if we are able to verify our claims around sustainability and, you know, this will move into carbon neutral and greenhouse gases, all of these things we're going to need to say, you know, we're the first country in the world with carbon neutral lamb or what, you know, if mm. we're going to do that, we need to be able to absolutely prove that's the case. And so having data that goes right down to the individual farmers' activities day to day, you know, that's incredibly powerful. And and so important when there is the data on the negative side, you know, um, the waterways that are no longer swimmable and the lakes uh, that are, that are yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of these kind of downstream effects that are um, provable. And it's kind of like you're yes. having to prove at the uh, cause yeah. of the issue. Yes. Yeah, and, and, and so how is uptake around around the country? Like, is it an easy sell if you can so, go to someone and say, um, hey, uh, I can help you as a farmer uh, save water, save money, know more about your soil health, more efficiently plan to feed your herd, uh, and also remove the, um, the, the, the things that are leaching out of your land? And they say, oh, great, sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> There certainly are farmers yeah. that say that. There definitely are. And they say, that you know, this is fantastic. Really love it. Where do I sign? Um, but the other, the flip side is, you know, there is a cost to them to get involved. There's a cost for the service. So they have lots of other things that they have to spend money on as well. So I think I like it. But um, so that's something we're always working on as a business is how can we reduce that cost, mm. entry cost. Um, and... There still are some farmers who feel that they have it under control themselves, but that will, you know, that will change. Um, we've, we've seen the demand for our services, particularly in, say, the last 18 months, really increase. And, and there's and, a and bit of that, a... Does that, sorry, so does that go with um, councils mandating it as well? Yeah. Yes, there's, there's a definite link to when a regulation comes into play and farmers, and you know, will look around and say, well, how can I meet this? Um, so it's... What we're ex- what we're hoping farmers are doing by using our services, they have to change some of their decision making, and we're not replacing their ability to make decisions and and be in charge of what they do on their farm, but really augment that with some sound information, and that supports that decision, and then can prove it was the right thing to do. Yeah, it's so cool. Having seen some of the success stories um, through your website as well, where Farmers have, um, you, you know, taken this progressive step and taken control of this. And, um, yeah, the, the, that power of actually knowing more of what's going on is something that seems to be really, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's something that, that would be a real benefit in business. What are, what are some of your favourite kind of stories of people coming on board and, you, you know, the amount of water or the amount of kind of um, uh, fertiliser they've been able to save? You know, we've had some customers give us amazing feedback in that um, one of our earlier water irrigation customers, you know, he said that he saved over $50,000 in his first year of using it by irrigating less. And he had to pay for some of his water. So if he didn't, you know, that was a massive saving for him. So he more than paid for his investment in that first year. Um, One of our earliest stories, which I really liked is when we first started, you know, cell phones were sort of coming into the fore and they were those little Nokia brick ones and there were no smartphones back then. And um, we'd text the farmers every day the same morning. And he said to me, he said, do you like my best friend? 
Oh, that's very nice. And he said, I'd get a text from you every single day. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like the kids are always texting. I thought that was, that was actually quite sweet. Um, but it's the other thing that always strikes me is that sometimes farmers can be a little sceptical that they will learn anything. Every single time when you start measuring what's happening and then present it in a way that's really easy to see and engage with, they they get another view of their farm they'd never had before, and that's really powerful. And that happens every single time. And I, you know, still found that exciting that you can um, just open up this sort of other view that is enables them to make lots of other decisions or have information that's not directly about what we do, but supports other decisions they're making on the farm. And, and with a tool like this that has been new tech and continues to you, you know um, embrace new parts of tech mm. as it comes in, uh, and and maybe didn't have a market that was you know clamouring for it if they thought they kind of knew what they were up to, how have grants and other kind of partners helped you along the way to be able to kind of build ahead of demand to prove it? We've had a lot of support from a lot of different uh, government agencies and companies through the years and we wouldn't still be here if we hadn't had that and um, Callaghan Innovation as it is now and its predecessors over the years they've supported us in a number of different ways so through um, grants that support your R&D um, and co- when you put co-funding in, but that that has um, we've had two of those in the past. Um, supporting getting student interns through them, they have programs, um, different uh, programs that help you build your business as well. So you know, Callahan has really, I, I personally think that they've kept on growing and really thinking about what they need to deliver to businesses like ours, and the. Been, you know, we've got a great account manager, um, and they have been very supportive. We've had other partners that we've worked with, other business partners. We had a partnership with uh, NEC New Zealand for a while, and some of what we do, and you know, they were interested in agriculture, and then you know, decided that wasn't quite their space. But some of those principles, and they've taken that on into their smart cities work. Um, and but they were, you know, what we learned from them, and when we worked with them was really, um, again, was really helpful. We work hard to collaborate with other businesses that either are part of our delivery of our overall service, other businesses in the sort of the wider ecosystem. One thing that uh, you know farmers often say is, that, oh, I just want to have one thing. Mm. This all comes together, and that's actually quite a challenging. Um, thing to put together and I don't know if it even if we did it they would really want it because then they'd have this big screen have to have an enormous screen to have all the different things all there but uh, I think recognizing you know as our customer base it needs to be simple and straightforward and we need to look for those opportunities to work with share information you know to make what for them is one activity or one sort of cluster of things appear seamless to them. So that's something that, you know, we've got a couple of um, initiatives we're working on at the moment where we hope that that will really improve that from the farmer's uh, perspective. And how has that helped you in this agriculture industry uh, business? That it is, you know, you grew up on the farm, you know you know the business, you can relate to people. Like, are you a typical 
CEO in the agriculture industry. I mean, are there, um, it, it, you know, do you get a, a positive welcome or do you have to build the rapport? Um, we definitely, you know, get a positive, a, a positive welcome. Um, and, but it does help coming from a farm mm. as opposed to having, you know, grown up in a town. And I live in a city now, you know, I've lived in Wellington for a, quite a number of years. Um, but I still do have a farm with my sister and brother. And, you know, it's, it's really important to connect back to the reality of actually what being a farmer is and keep that front and centre when you think about your business, your business model, your product, your service delivery. Um, it's... I mean, I, my job as a CEO is typical. It's, it might be an ag tech company, but you still have to make sure you've got enough money to pay wages and you've got to have a strategic plan and I have a board and, and all of those types of things. But being really bringing into the business and how we work that understanding of, you know, our customers are farmers and their days are very busy with activities so we are only ever going to be a slice of their time. So we have to make sure we deliver as much value into that little slice that we'll get. Um, so they keep thinking, wow, this region's great. Mm. And talk to their neighbours about it. or yeah. And part of that um, is that kind of leadership position that you've been taking and growing with the company. Uh, into that idea of like um, being able to measure and prove your sustainability has such possible positive effects for the brand that you can then build into your story and the, the story you can tell to build value into the product you sell. How's that story um, going? And, and, and how, you know, do you have people who are, um, who, who are really seeing the value in that and getting behind that and starting to, I don't know, add some traceability to their, their products? That, it, you know, that's something that's been part of our vision for a long time we see the potential for that and probably in the last six to 12 months we're starting to have conversations with the companies who are saying you know the times now we want to be able to do this who can help us do this so for me personally that's really exciting because I think this is a key part of how we can build completely new value for the New Zealand primary sector by being able to A, deliver on and then prove sustainability and improved environmental outcomes. Um, it's, I guess, you, you know, you need to be able to walk before you can run. So you need to be able to, you know, deliver a sound product and it, and it has to work and you can't, rush that necessarily and that sort of time to verify this is actually a real thing and it does make a real difference um, but we now one of our larger projects we've just in the process of finalizers rolling out the region water irrigation service across all of the farmers in one the Waimakariri irrigation scheme so that's over a hundred farmers who every day will be using our service and now starting to see when you put together the that minute-by-minute, day-by-day information and uh, about what farmers are doing, and then you put a picture of what does that look like, it's incredibly powerful because it shows, shows people that aren't doing it right, shows some people that are exceptionally good. And then so right there you've got, this is actually how we can 
in this catchment, we know what we need to do to make a difference. We focus on these people and get them some more education and support. That's the tail. And then you look at what the really great people are doing and say, well, actually, how is it that they're managing to use a bit, you know, significantly less water but still get good outcomes? And then that's, that's how the middle get to improve. And... So and then at the same time you're saying, well, what's the impact on the water quality that this catchment's contributing to? Um, and measures of you know not just dissolved oxygen and how much nitrates are in there, but more you know how many birds are nesting and you know what are those other measures as well? And that you know the next year that's what we're going to be able to do, and that story that we can create around positive change that. It's not just a, a glossy, over-the-top marketing spin because it's supported by this really granular, robust data. And it also shows not everyone's perfect, but actually this is what's happening to the people that aren't perfect to move them along. And over time, you, you know, that type of approach also enables the bar to be raised. So what's good keeps on moving up. And so you get that continual improvement. And, um, you know, some of what New Zealand, the primary sector will need to do is really be able to uh, be best and bred in the world at sustainability and environmental protection. We're already a long way ahead and we're not, which some of the narrative and, you know, that's talked about doesn't acknowledge. Mm. But other countries will catch us up. You know, we need to keep on moving forward and, and technology and technologies like ours is a real part of how we're going to be able to do that. Yeah, and that story becoming more important by the day, as you've recently been uh, commenting on, with this move to um, lab-grown protein, uh, you know, fake meats or um, textured protein, kind of, you know, from um, plant-based mm. protein. Uh, these are big moves um, in the world. And so a lot of that is driven by uh, some is simple kind of um, animal welfare, but some is environmental as well. It, it's um, when there's thousands of litres of water to make a litre of milk or, you know, a kilo of beef, um, are there ways to do things more efficiently? So I think, yeah, yeah this it's such important work to to... Uh, protect such a large part of our economy. Yes, it is, and 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 it's also too. It's it's really important that we are able to describe and verify and get the value of every single attribute of our overall farm system. So thousands of liters of water go in to make a hamburger patty that comes from a feedlotted beef cow in the states, because. They're all growing. They're um, they're not grass fed, and yeah, they, so they they, <laughs> they grow the grain and use a whole lot of water, and then bring it over. That's yeah, yeah. right. Whereas uh, the amount of water that is used to grow a beef patty that might come out of a New Zealand beef is completely different. Our farming system is completely different, and so we need to really accelerate the work that we do to create the whole story around our food products because the environment that we're producing them from is so much more natural across so many dimensions, and we can still enhance that. So, um, you know, biodiversity is another really important area, I think, that people are starting to look at and, and think about and you know that can bring all sorts of positive traits to the food product um, if you move away from monocultures and um, the 
you know, fitting a production system to the soil and the land and the weather. And, you know, there's a story in doing that, right? And we're we're just at the beginning, but we really need to work hard to build that further. And I think alternative protein sources will continue to grow and expand because there's there's more and more people in the world that need to be fed. And even if we were more efficient, we're not going to be able to meet that demand through traditional pastoral agriculture. Um, so, uh, but I don't think in the, my personal view is that that alternative protein isn't suddenly going to push out pastoral agriculture because there is an awful lot of that and there's a lot of vested interest in, you know, in, in that continuing. And, but potentially, you know, in 20 years' time, if you have a special occasion, that's maybe when you will choose to have a natural protein meal. But maybe on Tuesday and Wednesday night when you come home from the gym, you're going to be having a, you know, a pea burger mm-hmm. <laughs> instead. You know, and, the, the, and our diet will change to accommodate both types of, you know, sources of protein. But New Zealand has got the opportunity to build itself to be – um, as Ian Proudfoot described it yesterday, the international, the the world's deli. So to to be creating this really high value across every dimension you think of, high value food products. Mm. Ah, that's that's so cool. And and um, a couple of questions that we always ask our guests. Um, do do you uh, what kind of advice do you give to entrepreneurs who talk to you about kind of making the jump and uh, running a company or taking an idea um, from from research and um, data to real-life product and market? Uh, so what I say is if you believe in it, do it. But if you don't, if you've got any doubts, don't even start. It's really, really hard to build something from nothing or an idea. So be prepared for a very long journey with a lot of dark times you can't get through them if you don't have that belief so that's the my key piece of advice and do you have any words that you go back to or ideas that you call on when things get dark you know to to, to keep you moving yeah I do I, I for me it's just fundamental to be true to myself so and and this is something that I've really learned and a lesson I've sometimes had to reteach myself over the years. But as soon as you start to drift away from your own values, um, you end up doing a really bad deal that just, it, it was bad from the start because it's not what you believe in and it's not, it's not you. So that's the most important thing. And so maybe I, you know, I won't make the most money but I'm proud of every single thing that I do because, you know, that's I always work to my values and in the team and in our company, that's really important that we know who we are and that's actually who we are and how we work and how we interact with everybody that we do. And that's the path forward. Ah, well, thank you so much for coming and chatting us. To, thank you so much for coming and chatting to us today. That's Bridget Hawkins, CEO of Regen. Thank you. And uh, yeah, if you're listening and you know a uh, a farmer or maybe a local councillor in kind of a ward with lots of farming uh, going on, tell them about Regen. <laughs> and thank you very much to Alice Webber-Dole for producing and thank you for having us along and listening. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin-off 
and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.